many thanks for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Andy De Silva, who joins us from uh, Brighton. Andy, many thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm, I'm honoured to, to participate. And Andy, you're a cardiology trainee and have recently authored a really substantial piece of work which we've published in the Education in Heart section uh, called The Management of Mature Athletes with Cardiovascular Conditions. And I guess this is a kind of companion piece to one that you published uh, again with senior author Sanjay Sharma uh, about the management of uh, younger athletes with heart conditions. Um, perhaps you can start off really by telling us about the motivation for this most recent piece on on mature athletes and heart disease. Absolutely, yes. Um, I, originally, we were commissioned to to write an article, had a re- relatively broad title on their cardiovascular conditions in athletes. Uh, and when we were in the planning stages, we realised that um, particularly knowing the field and the divide between the etiologies concerned uh, with the cardiovascular conditions of individuals under the age of 35 compared with those over the age of 35, we realized quite early on that that this was a big topic that really probably one should divide into those broad categories. And we wrote our first um, review article focusing on, on the younger competitive athletes in whom probably a lot of the consensus papers internationally uh, do focus on um, for reasons that, that we, we may come to. Um, certainly they're, they're more visually present in the media. And, and so we, we started with that, that focus and that paper. And then when we uh, submitted the cover letter of that, that paper, uh, we mentioned that actually you know, that there is a really big, important population of, of mature athletes, often recreational athletes, uh, of which who were sort of relatively neglected and certainly have quite a high uh, cardiovascular sudden cardiac death risk, uh, and we would, re- you know, we offered that we'd be really excited to write, a, you know, that that paper, uh, and therefore, you know, that fortunately that was agreed by the editorial team, uh, and then here we are, sort of discussing that that second uh, paper. Because as you, as you say, sudden cardiac death among young competitive athletes is uh, often in the media. One thinks of several high-profile examples in the UK. But actually, as you say, that accounts for only around 6% of exercise-related deaths, people under 35. The vast majority occur in what you term uh, mature at the age of 35. I'm not sure you agree with that, but uh, there we go. Uh, 80% of deaths are being due to ischemic heart disease. Exactly. And uh, I mean, really, the focus on, on the young competitive athlete, exactly as you point out, is these individuals, they're often you know, medal competitors. They're a source of national inspiration and aspiration. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of sponsorship and professional bodies that can act as advocates and support uh, initiatives like, for example, pre-participation screening, uh, where one might be able to identify an underlying uh, vulnerability and underlying cardiac condition to to prevent uh, unfortunate sudden death, and therefore, um, based on you know previous observational data, it was felt that in this under thirty five year old population, uh, you know the US would suggest that the commonest cause of sudden cardiac death is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, across across the Atlantic. In Italy, different uh, observational studies. Uh, have reported that arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy was was a a, a greater cause of sudden cardiac death in, in their young athletes. 
And therefore, if one can use a relatively simple and acceptable tool like the ECG to be able to identify the vast burden of, of these conditions uh, and then potentially you know, turn the tide or, or reduce the, the risk of sudden cardiac death there with appropriate lifestyle interventions, then that, of course, is, is you know, it would be very attractive and that's where things have been taken. Of course, one could do a, a podcast on its own if, if you haven't already on the topic of pre-participation screening. And it's it's sort of highly controversial as to whether one feels that you know, the, the very rare events as they are warrant that, that potential cost and also, you know, the potential for unnecessary investigation of false positive findings as well. Some people find, um, you know, relatively too much to, to be advocates of pre-participation screening in athletes and young individuals. Um, I mean, we at St George's and particularly our work with cardiac risk in the young, um, you know, we, we take a, a, a different view and we feel that, you know, these conditions in, in young athletes and young individuals, they're out there and potentially serious cardiovascular conditions at a prevalence of, of approximately one in 300 uh, waiting for symptoms is often too late, as as 80% may be completely asymptomatic prior to having a sudden cardiac death or sudden cardiac arrest. Um, and actually, if one is able to to prevent these or intervene, um, uh, you know, in, in a pre-participation manner, then perhaps decades of lives lost can be saved for that individual. And of course, the majority of these we're talking about are inherited cardiac conditions. So we're talking potentially about decades of li of life years saved in, in their relatives too. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've just talked yourself into a, a second appearance to deal with that screening in the young. Um, in an older person uh, who may be a recreational, as in a non-elite athlete you do talk about the exercise paradox and there's a very nice figure figure one in the paper and i'll i'll put a copy of that in the show notes can you just talk a little bit about that what what you mean by the exercise paradox particularly in, a, in an older athlete of course yeah so i think the term the exercise the exercise paradox was coined by barry Marin in 2000 and at the time he was editorializing a, a study a sort of sub study of the physician's health study in the new england journal of medicine a, a piece produced by Albert and others. And really, it referred to the fact that vigorous physical activity is a double-edged sword in that it can simultaneously increase this short-term risk of sudden cardiac death. And in this paper, that was due to coronary artery disease. In the exercise exposure time and the immediate 30 minutes after that period, and again, sort of simultaneously, the, the paradox is that it also offers protection from this exact risk in those who choose to habituate with regular exercise. So to put, put it simply another way, it's those who would benefit most by exercising were most at risk of sudden cardiac death when undertaking it vigorously. But once an individual gets into a regular habit of exercise, they're able to reduce that, that sort of transient immediate risk but not completely eliminate it, not completely reduce it to, to sort of not participating. And, right. and in that sort of figure one that you mentioned, we sort of expanded a little bit and we went to sort of also include that individuals who are undertaking physical activity, and this is a very high amount, so now we're talking greater than 10 times those sort of public health recommended minimal phys physical activity recommendations. Um, may also have a higher incidence, up to five-fold increased risk of atrial fibrillation if exercising for decades, often in long-term endurance athletes. And then perhaps more contentiously um, in 
potentially some slightly underpowered studies looking at coronary artery calcification and myocardial fibrosis, that there appears to be signals worthy of further exploration as to whether people exercising at this very high intensity level for very high uh, numbers of years um, with lots of physical activity can be you know, predisposing themselves to, to some, some injurious uh, myocardial or atherosclerotic process. Okay, and, and just to put some, some numbers on the, uh, as it were, the positive side of the paradox, you've written here, 33% reduction in all-cause mortality, about the same in cardiovascular mortality. Again, a third reduction in the risk of hypertension, 42% reduction in the risk of diabetes, and also uh, increase in healthy aging and reduced risk of certain cancers. So as you say, you know, I'm sure you would support uh, mass participation in exercise at a population level. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you, you sort of bring us back to that because, you know, exercise is overwhelmingly good. And, uh, you know, we deliberately opened both articles with a statement really sort of extolling the virtues of, of the huge morbidity and mortality reductions uh, from exercise, which is sort of is an atheroprotective, anti-cancer, anti-aging, antidepressant intervention, which in primary prevention is more effective than any available pharmacological treatment. Uh, most of us don't actually take enough exercise, and I include myself in that statement. And if we call enough the minimum recommended uh, physical activity recommendations of 150 minutes of modest physical activity per week, so that's really sort of uh, brisk walking, dancing, gardening, or 75 minutes of vigorous activity, which would include things like running or, or most sports. And we see that there's a wealth of evidence to support even taking five times or 10 times those minimum recommended physical activity levels gives even greater benefit with a higher dose. But the, the tricky question that, uh, that really sort of forms the, the central um, need for consensus documents about sports participation is that is that really true for everyone? So if you harbour an underlying cardiac condition and there may be potential vulnerability to fatal arrhythmia, how much exercise could be safe in that individual before it could become a trigger for sudden death? And certainly with respect to moderate amounts of exercise, uh, we, we're fairly confident in that that overwhelmingly is good medicine for people even harbouring cardiovascular conditions. But it's really to try and better define the, the risk engendered by the vigorous exercise activity levels and what sort of pragmatic advice can be provided for quite heterogeneous underlying conditions. Yeah, and you, and you certainly uh, make a very good go of that in several of your figures with uh, pathways for both uh, wheedling out possible risk factors and then uh, imaging and other tests that might be required and then very specific advice also about what kind of exercise might be safe for example with patients with uh, known ischemic heart disease or certain types of arrhythmia. Perhaps we can just finish by uh, talking about the the risk of atrial fibrillation. You touched on it briefly earlier on in the podcast. How is this thought to work that exercise might induce atrial fibrillation? Do you know? It's an excellent question. And I think, um, in all honesty, I, I don't think we have the complete uh, answer for you. Uh, certainly, I've, I've seen quite a lot of really interesting um, topics presented at, at sports cardiology conferences, both animal um, and um, some human data as well. And, and there, there are relatively good arguments for structural changes, um, certainly atrial dilatation. But the vast majority of athletes who develop 
increases in, in cardiac dimensions and left atrial dimensions still manage not to manifest with atrial fibrillation. There really does appear to be a key that there's lots and lots of um, uh, years of endurance exercise and even the relationship of higher intensity uh, leading to higher risk is, is one that's played out. So there probably is a milieu of um, sort of structural remodeling increased or altered vagal tone, uh, including perhaps some genetic predisposition to uh, atrial fibrosis or atrial inflammation that leads, you know, still a relative minority of people who with that environmental stimulus of performing exercise for, you know, for example, some studies quote greater than 2000 hours of lifetime vigorous physical activity uh, again, for prolonged periods of time, might be at risk of developing atrial fibrillation. Again, these are, these are sort of quite a distinct subgroup of exercises, as they found. Not only are they at the top end of the spectrum of amount of exercise they've managed to accumulate in the intensity, um, but also when one looks at, you know, in terms of the classic atrial fibrillation population has a, a twofold risk of mortality and a fivefold increased risk of, of stroke and thromboembolic consequences. Uh, you know, those risks don't seem to be born in this population, probably because your classic atrial fibrillation population uh, has underlying hypertension, ischemic heart disease or heart failure, uh, whereas that's, that's sort of much rarer in this population. So there's still quite a lot we don't understand. Um, and and I think, you know, this will be a really interesting, you know, place, uh, a really interesting point in the future to explore further. I mean, the other thing is, is the gender disparity, even amongst um, athletes who develop atrial fibrillation. It's a very uncommon phenomena in women. Uh, and that's also true when it comes to sudden cardiac death in, in mature athletes, too. Again, for reasons that aren't entirely understood. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And the and the sudden cardiac death that does occur in mature athletes, I think you wrote that it's almost all due to underlying ischemic heart disease rather than the, the channelopathies and the cardiomyopathies in, in younger athletes. Have I got that correct? That's absolutely right. So with um, channelopathies, it's absolutely right that this seems to sort of tail off, um, you know, by the sort of 40th, 50th decade, it's very unusual for that to be implicated as a cause of sudden cardiac death. The cardiomyopathy is still, you know, quite a particularly hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a very heterogeneous condition that can present, you know, relatively late in life, still has, you know, sort of quite a hump uh, in the mature athlete group. It certainly doesn't um, come isn't responsible for the majority of deaths but um, you know by over 80 percent things are overwhelmingly overtaken by conventional uh, sort of ischemic heart disease and atherosclerotic coronary artery disease brilliant well thank you very much indeed for your for your time andy i'll, I'll put links to the paper and i'll make it open access for uh, a week or so after this podcast is released so people can uh, enjoy it and certainly it'd be great to get you back to talk about your other publication uh, particularly screening of athletes uh, in a younger population at some time in the future fantastic i think that, that that would be great i've very much enjoyed it so thank you very much for, for this opportunity pleasure thanks ever so much 